0: So in the letter to Titus, this is old Pastor Paul, now trying to help out this young Pastor Titus, who's over the island of Crete, a number of pockets of believers, churches throughout the island. And um, there's things that they know to do, but they're reluctant to do. There's things that they're supposed to do. They're fearful to do. And then there's things that they're to do that just take a lot of work. Um, But he's he's not making suggestions here. Almost everything in the book of Titus is a command, like a general, to his younger officer. And as we come into chapter 3, he says, And remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work reminding them that's that's the pastor's job you know there's that saying that says if it's new it's probably not true (laughs) and if it's true it's not new and and so in essence once you've been a christian for a while almost every time you come to church is just sort of a reminder isn't it but it's the living word of god so it speaks differently in your heart and as you grow in experience and maturity it speaks at a different level to you but the job of a pastor you know the the pastor is just he walks out with his sheep and just lets them eat and walks them over to the water and then walks them back it's just a it's just a simple thing and you you know I know uh friends that have other callings and, and they just think how could you be a pastor and just get up there and preach all these sermons. And, and, uh, and it just seems like you're, you're sort of, you know, like you have counseling appointments, i have two or three counseling appointments and just sort of walk them through one by one. And they're like, man, that would just bore me. And I'm like, nah, not to me at all. I love it every time. I just, it's just something joyful about going over the truths of God again and again and again. And boy, Paul is not short on talking about submitting to number one the governmental authorities you know when you you think about church history paul in his writing probably had it about as tough of any civilization in church history on being a christian uh, just about than any other generation you say well the soviet union boy they were horribly killing hundreds and millions, maybe even hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of Christians during those decades. Yeah, they did. And, and China, yeah. India, yeah, throughout the Muslim world presently today. And um, in Paul's day, yeah, they, they were, you know, Paul would end his life being beheaded by the government <laughs> that he's saying to submit to. But what, what is the answer? The answer is not trying to politically change the government that's really not the church's focus now I understand there's individuals that have that calling and conviction to do that but it's really not for the church to become the the political activists and boy as you go through the Bible you see some of the most godly leaders the people behaved the worst you know you got Moses literally the humblest guy on the planet according to God and all they could see is that he was full of pride and lorded over them and taking advantage of them and and on more than one occasion they were wanting to kill him and and go back to Egypt and and you're just going oh man let's 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 uh get a Moses elected then we'll prosper it's like you know you know what if you get a moses you, you know what you need more than anything people who will recognize the moses and have a submitted heart to him and a willingness to to follow him and and to listen to the word of god through him right and so paul is saying don't wait for that <laughs> Every authority that is in its place and power, God has either put them there or allowed them to be there. And uh, boy, he he makes this so clear in um, Romans chapter 13, doesn't he? Where he says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And it continues on. Jesus, when they questioned him, you know, do we need to pay the taxes to the temple, which was to support the building and keep it going, the giant temple? And Jesus said, does the king's son, pay taxes (laughs) the answer was it's god's house and no the son shouldn't pay taxes but remember what he did he told peter to go fishing and he caught a fish and a coin was in its mouth and it was the right amount of temple tax for him and the boys and then later they're like do we need to pay taxes to caesar because you know the romans are not supposed to be our king you know we're supposed to have our own jewish king over our own jewish country should we and, and Jesus said, show me a coin, right? And he said, Who's, whose picture on that? Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar's what's Caesar's. But really what he was saying, more importantly, is whose image are you in? You're in the image of God, so give you yourself totally to God. That's the important text, right? That we understand that we owe all to the Lord. And, of course, we, we see the Lord working in the midst of this. How many stories in the Bible did God glorify himself through pretty wicked governments? You know, I mean, there's, there's many, many stories. I, I think of just a couple of them offhand, you know. You got Joseph with, remember, the guy with the coat of many colors. And, and he submits himself unto slavery. And then they accuse him of being a rapist. And he submits himself unto the the criminal system, and he's a prisoner. But yet he rises to be one of the top prisoners. And and as he's submitted in his heart to Potiphar's slave, or submitted to his jailers, we just see this beautiful heart, and God's able to raise him up from being on, in the prison system of a, as a rapist to second in command under Pharaoh in a matter of moments and it's in that place of the government as an Egyptian that he says God's allowed this to save you guys alive now now come on from where you're at to Egypt because there's going to be a seven years of famine and uh and I want to take care of you guys and uh and then I think of Joseph and Mary another Joseph remember they were in Nazareth and Mary was very very pregnant and uh they tried to get a pass on you know being pregnant not having to go back to his family city which was Bethlehem but the government being cruel and not caring about people demanded them to go to Bethlehem and of course that the prophecy might be fulfilled huh that the the, our Lord would be born in Bethlehem so we we see that God's got it in control he's got it in control right and 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 you know what if our hearts are submitted unto God, and okay, whatever government I'm in—China, I'm in India, I'm in Venezuela—I'm just gonna get my eyes on the Lord. I'm just gonna live for the Lord in whatever government it's coming and going. It's a roller coaster, and you, you know what? I, I, my citizenship is in heaven, as, as the Lord, as the Bible says, and I'm just gonna—I'm just gonna be as fruitful as I can under every government and just serve the Lord to whatever degree I can. And, and if that government ends up arresting me and throwing me in prison, then I'll have a prison ministry like Paul did. But I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna make that the aim of thinking, man, if we can get this awesome Christian guy elected, it'll solve all our problems. It helps, I won't say it's not, you know, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, it says in Proverbs, right? <laughs> So that's not untrue, but um, it's it's not to be what we're waiting around um, and trying to manipulate. But give to honor to him, whom honor is due. The way I translate that is, you owe it to vote. You know, it's it's amazing the the small percentage of our country that votes, and uh, and I, and I'd say it. You don't vote. You have no right complaining about anything political. Right? And uh, it, it's, just, it's just staggering how many people don't vote. But you know, when people become citizens of the United States, and they finally oh, I'm a citizen. Guess what they do next voting cycle? Man, they, they couldn't imagine being in Iran getting to vote, <laughs> or coming from Iraq, or, or wherever they're coming from. They're, they're just amazed at the the power they have to be able to vote without getting killed or um, having blowback or, or whatever. So those, those are the balances there. Uh, it does also to say to submit to the authority in the church. In Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So have a a submitted heart unto the governmental bodies that exist in the world, but also have a submitted heart to whatever governmental bodies are in the church. However, God's raised that up. I mean, there are congregational-run churches, there are Elder-run churches, they are pastor-run churches. It looks different all over the world. But either way, whatever that, that government is, whoever God's raised up in that place of authority, have a heart of submission. And then, of course, it just goes everywhere. When, when there's a beautiful heart of humility and submission, you just find it going to everyone. And it, the Bible says that too. Submit one to another. And, and Jesus says, look, you call me Lord. Master, Rabboni, I'm the top guy. And what did I just do in John 13? He says, I washed your feet. And this isn't the exception to the rule. This is the rule. Blessed are you. If you just have that heart of humility in the place of power, not to use it to lord it over, but as fellow sharers of the joy, I love that where Paul says in Corinthians, you need to respect me. I'm an apostle. I started that church. You're ignoring me and God's not gonna allow that. I'm afraid I'm gonna come down there and God's gonna humble you and I don't want that to happen. And then what does he say in the next book, second Corinthians? He's like, I, I don't wanna rule over you. I just wanna be fellow sharers of your joy, but you do need to respect my authority in your life as an apostle and the founder of that church and, and, uh, and who God has made me in the church as an apostle to the sphere that God's given me, and you are included in my sphere, he says to the Corinthians. But really, I just want to come alongside and be fellows, sharers of your joy. I love it in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Philippians 2, 4. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then it goes on to say, this was the mind that was in Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse five, it says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed in humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there's just a beautiful thing in the heart of submission. And then, of course, it just never really ends, does it? You know, in the marriage, it says there in, in Ephesians 5.21, submit yourselves one to another in the marriage partnership. But in particular, as far as the, the, the roles in marriage, the husband is the head of the home. The wife needs to submit to the husband as to the Lord in everything. And... Uh, and not having that heart of submission, God resists that. It's it's a sign of a, a, of being an apostate when you don't have that heart of submission. And in James 3, in that verse 13 to 18, 18 he, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? I, I don't want to hear his words. I want to see it. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in what? The meekness, the humility, the... Having power, but not using that power of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. And where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion, and every evil thing are there. So the opposite of that submissive heart is a self-willed heart. And that self-willed heart, every evil thing can, can dwell there. there. There's no end to how con- much confusion that can bring but then he says in Ephesians three seventeen. but the wisdom that's from above it's pure it's peaceable it's gentle it's willing to yield it's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality without hypocrisy and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace it's just a, a-, a beautiful thing when, when you have that wisdom from above, and it, it's just that beautiful, gentle, yielded, submitted spirit, and there's no end to the beauty of the fruit it can bring, right? I mean, Jesus humbled himself, and humbled himself, and humbled himself, and humbled himself, and coming in as a man, he became the servant of all men, and then after being the servant of all men, he died in our place on the cross serving all of us so unworthy are we but yet jesus humbled himself even to the point of death even the death of cross therefore the father desires that every knee would bow every tongue would confess that jesus is lord to the glory of god the father in jude 8 it says likewise these dreamers defile the flesh reject authority speak evil of dignitaries so understand that that this is not like oh well you know he's sort of not submitted and you know that 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 would be better if he did no remember what samuel said to saul he he said stubbornness is as idolatry and rebellion is as what witchcraft no 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 not having a humble submitted heart is really a scary dark alley leading to a, a bottomless pit a door now the balance in this and just as a real quick note there are times where two truths clash and when they do hit each one you choose the greater good so like pharaoh told the midwives hey when the hebrew babies are being born and if you see it's a boy kill it abort it before it comes out of the womb and they said oh okay we'll do that and of course they lied and they didn't do that and pharaoh pulled them in and they said well we tried but that you know these hebrew women are so strong the babies get born before we even get there so we don't have a chance to kill them uh, in in the midst of uh helping them be born and it said god bless them Because they said, "Okay, submit to the governing authorities, but also submit to God. And I can't submit to the greater authority if I do what they want. So I have to ignore this authority to to, uh, obey God. And remember, uh, when Peter and the gang in Acts chapter 4 came before the Sanhedrin. And they're saying, hey, as your religious leaders, we order you not to preach Christ anymore. And Peter said, interesting, because Christ just told us a few days ago to go into all the world and preach his name. So do we obey God or you guys? And, uh, and they said, man, we know these guys are a bunch of dumb fishermen, but wow, um, they've been with Jesus. It was, it was overwhelming to them. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 2, speak evil of how many people? No one but be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Sort of the same thing, sort of carrying on, isn't it? He's saying, do you you get it, guys? Do you get this, this nature of Jesus and how it flows and how it works and how it looks and how powerful it is, this life, where if you humble yourself, God's able to lift you up. If you have a humble heart, God's able to give you more grace. But if you don't have that humble heart, then he resists you. So speak evil of, of no one. You know that, that old saying your mom said was absolutely right. If you don't have anything good to say, what? Don't say anything, don't say anything at all. She's right. Okay? I mean it, it's just <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that you teach your kids, right? Just because you think a thought doesn't mean. You speak it. That's why God gave you two ears and one mouth, right? And just because that tongue is all slippery, blah, 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 it doesn't mean you got to let it fall out. You know, there, there's just there's just those those common things. And, and Paul is saying earlier in Titus, he goes like, "Yeah, you guys are saying Cretans are this and Cretans are that," and he goes, "You need to quit saying it because it's true." <laughs> it wasn't it was false it was but you're you're saying something that it is it is true about them but it's it's hurtful and you need to stop it and i I just a funny story when my kids were young i I don't know if you guys were in that phase where billy bob teeth were were popular everybody was buying everybody is the billy bob teeth you know you put them in and you know you look like somebody from the, the swamp lands of uh, wherever, and uh, so we were going across country a family vacation, the only one we really did uh, across country. But we're going through, um, I, I believe it was Alabama, and uh, I stopped to ask directions, and this guy came over just as nice as could be, and had Billy Bob teeth in, but they weren't from the store, and my kids going ah. that's great oh you are great you know i love you man this is you got billy bob teeth and there's little kids you know and we're like stop stop you know and they're billy bob teeth oh man that's great Uh, (laughs) and so just don't say it think it don't say it It, it, and, and again the bible makes it clear that everything we speak should bring edification so, I'm saying this. Well, it might be true. Well, that doesn't mean you say it. You say it if it edifies. And this is where the Bible just says it over and over again in different ways, huh? Ecclesiastes says, God's in heaven, you're on earth, so let your words be few. The Proverbs go as so far to say you can take a guy who's a complete fool a guy who's you know got an IQ of 63 and if he sits there doesn't say a word and everybody else is discussing it, and he's looking at you pondering they just all assume he's the wisest guy in the room and he didn't say a word interesting how that works isn't it we all know that so why are we talking so much so just just have that in your heart man just you know there just comes the place guys where you can't help anybody else. You can't do it for anybody else. You just can't. You'd love to do it for your spouse, your kids, your best friends, the people you love, but you can't. It just comes back, watch yourself. You know, I I, I can't help somebody else be kind, but I can help me not being unkind, right? And if I slow down am conscious that every word I speak, every thought I think, God's hedged me in behind, hedged me in before. He has created this day wonderfully. A zillion years ago, He created this day. He predestined that I have good works to walk in. It says in Ephesians 10 that I should walk in them. And I just wake up and say, God, this is the day you have made before I put one foot on the floor, Lord, Everything you want me to say, everything you want me to do, every situation I know is of you, right? And I, and I am trusting that, that you've got a divine plan and I want to walk in it and, and then pray and meditate in the word, however you do that. And, and then just, just say, when I lay my head on the pillow tonight, not one thing I said could hurt another human being would not offend another human being. And the few things that I did say, I can I'm standing confidently that it would, it was truthful and it was kind and it was encouraging. I mean, and then you do that again one more day. <laughs> and you do that a third day and you do that a week and then a month and it becomes who you are in nature and in habit. And now you're walking in wisdom and you're showing it because your nature is in this meekness of wisdom and it's peaceable and gentle and it's willing to yield. And so this is what it's saying here. Speak evil of no one, but have this spirit of peacefulness, of gentleness, of humility. Isn't isn't this the description of Jesus? Right? In Luke 4, it says, they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Is that what people think about you? I hope so. I really do. And then in Matthew 12, verse 18 to 21, the, you know, the, the prophecy of the servant, the chosen servant, the Messiah, when he comes, God will put his spirit upon him. And then what will happen? He will not quarrel, no cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, he will not break. A... Smoking flack he will not quench. So when this powerful servant, this anointed Messiah comes on the scene, he's not going to be striving. He's not going to be arguing. He's not going to be pushing his agenda, philosophy, doctrine. He's not this striving individual. Who is he? He's this gentle individual. If he he sees a, a branch broken, metaphorically, He won't just go rip that thing off and start picking his teeth with it. He'll go back and tape it up and and get the the branch to heal back and be bare fruit. If he sees a candle flickering, ready to go out, he doesn't just say, ah, the thing has hardly any oil, just snub it out and pour some more oil and get a new candle. No, he gently tips the bowl, keeps the candle going, and gently, carefully pours more oil in until it's filled back up. And then he puts the bowl back and the candle never went out. This, this, this is the nature of Jesus. And Paul walked in it. He says to the Corinthians, when we were amongst you, we behaved perfectly. There's not one thing that we said or did that would stumble anyone. Wow. Can you say that? that's what's sort of expected follow me Paul says the Holy Spirit says follow as Paul is declaring here these are the words of God follow him as he's following Christ and I love it in Jesus in Matthew 11 Jesus says you can come to me you labor and heavy laden and you're striving and struggling and just take my yoke upon you and learn of me the yoke a big giant block of wood they put on oxen to turn them. Yes, it is a yoke. I, I'm not going to say that Christianity is not heavy. Boy, you know, I was talking to somebody Sunday and they, just like, man, the thing I love about cow teach verse by verse. And I said, yeah, but you know, with that, sometimes we leave heavy. You know, we've got through teaching the James heavy book, teaching through the minor prophets, heavy stuff. Sometimes, you know, that, that's the thing. But most churches, it's like, hey, we got 52 Sundays a year. Every Sunday, I want everybody to walk, walk lift it up, you know. And it's just like, that. Yeah, the truth doesn't always do that. Sometimes the truth just pierces and cuts out cancers and leaves you with a hole and bleeding and taped up. And you're going, ah, it was good to be in church today. Ah, oh, it hurts. I'm still hurting. That's, that's what we're signed up. But yet, what does Jesus say? Even though the yoke this big giant yoke it's what it's going to cause a rest in your souls because jesus himself delivering that message and his atmosphere around him and the way he talked and communicated and lived was gentle and lowly of heart and so even the heaviest truths even the most difficult things to hear would still cause the heart to be at peace because Jesus and who he was. Well, in verse 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceivers, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Did anybody hear going, that's a, that's, that's a rude thing for Paul to say? I, I, I remember back in college I, I worked for a pharmacy going door-to-door to living prescriptions in a very wealthy area where our college was but I, I remember I, I would just try to witness and just talk to people and this one lady you know she, she's I don't remember if it was my shirt or what she goes oh so you're a Christian and, and I said yeah I said you know are you and she goes well I'm a Mormon And uh, and I said well you know this is the difference and, and I just said you know the fact is is we're all sinners falling short of the glory of God the wages of sin is death and the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ who died and rose again she looked at me going you're such a young man to have such a pessimistic outlook on life and, and I, I was looking at her going you, you don't think you're a sinner you, you don't think that you know, and went through the list. And, and I went away just sort of scratching my head going, man, am I wrong about that? And I'm looking at this list now going, foolish, me, disobedient. <laughs> I, my, that's my middle name. You know, deceived, serving various lessons. Oh, man, this is, this, this is really Paul being nice. If he's talking about me, that, that sentence would be a whole lot worse. Um, we could not read it in mixed company here tonight. We're sinners, aren't we? We're desperately, deceitfully wicked. We know how sinful we are. We were used to be like that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, man, we were unrighteous. We, We were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. We were all of those things. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Do, do, do you hear it? Our gospel is not pessimistic. Our gospel is true with a great ending if you let us get there. But you first, you know, unless you're willing to confess your sins, he can't help you, can he? 1 John 1, 8 and 10, if you're unwilling to ignore your sinful condition, God can't help you. And by the way, if you don't agree with verse 3 about yourself, then you're calling God a liar. You're making him out to be a liar, and the truth has no part of you whatsoever. And so knowing how deep of a wicked pit we were till God washed us in verse 4 of Titus 3, but the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man Appear at all men not by works of righteousness which we have done we're not having necklaces where we have beads and praying we're not crawling on our knees we don't have a rug we have to face a certain way we don't have to climb any mountains or burn any candles we, it, it's no we're, we're free we don't have to have any of this religious stuff because it's by not of our works, not of our religious duties, not of our religious efforts, not of our good works. If, if you were to live from this moment forward 10,000 years and you never sinned in those 10,000 years, you did nothing but good works, it would not make up for even one of your past sins. Do, do we understand that? We, we can't cleanse us from our sins. We cannot take our sins away they are in God's book who is the just judge and he can't even just wash them away did you know that because if that were true Jesus wouldn't need to die on the cross right and some people think that God just says you know all the only on come free (laughs) you know everybody who wants to be forgiven you can't I'll just say forgive and forget let's just move forward No, God couldn't even do that why? Because he's, yes, a God of mercy, but he's also a God of truth and justice. And the Bible tells us that for every sin, there's got to be bloodshed. And, and so God so loved us that he came And he could blot out our sins, but only after he paid for the penalty of our sins. There was bloodshed. There was punishment given. There was separation from God that happened. There was torment. There was torture. There was holes and nails and bleeding and thorns. It was hideous. But Christ paid for our sins. As hard and great of a sacrifice that it was, he went to the cross, paying the price. So now in verse 5 there, it's not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to what? His mercy. He saved us through the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So now we can come and say through the punishment that jesus did in my place i asked to be made right with god not i know i can never do anything Ten thousand years of good works can't wipe out the least of my sins not counting the greatness of my sins and not counting the numerous amount of my sins and then not just counting about not my sin but just my sinful nature itself and yet i know the work of christ when he said it's finished and he breathed his last, and then he rose again, conquering it. I I believe that that alone, just like the thief on the cross, hands tied, feet tied, but yet he was able to say, I believe. If you believe Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved. He's rich to all who call upon his name. You look at the three gospels, the, the thief said, Jesus, Lord, putting all three gospels together. When, future, You come into your kingdom. Remember me. And Jesus, we see his mercy. We see an instant salvation. One of Jesus' final statements on the cross, seven statements, one of those was to a man who was mocking him a few minutes earlier, maybe even spitting on him with the crowd. But he said to that thief, today you'll be with me in paradise wow why because we're not saved by works that we do we're saved by the mercies of god who jesus in the garden said father there's any way for this cup to pass not my will and 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 nobody can understand that strain but jesus being perfect having never sinned and and realizing i am going to have sin on me not just one sin but the sin of all the world oh my goodness serial killers and hitlers and all of their sins the sins of everybody upon me at one time going from no sin to complete sin he who knew no sin first corinthians or second corinthians 5 21 he who knew no sins became sin for us that we might become not given but become the righteousness of God so now the Holy Spirit can now come into us like he did the Holy of Holies and he washes us and regenerates us Romans 2 says it circumcises our heart from that foreskin of the sin nature itself taken away God's Holy Spirit now comes into our hearts. And now we have the ability to walk even as Jesus walked, to do the works he did and greater works. But we have complete free will and we've got to choose to do that. That's our opportunity. We're going to see that in just a second here. So then it says that by the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus said that in John 10, 10, huh? The thief comes except to steal, kill, and destroy it. I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And then he goes on in verse seven to say, having been justified by his grace, we have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. By him counting us worthy, Just like the the prodigal son's dad, he's coming with his pig-smelling clothes. And the father takes that off, that old smelly robe ripped and torn and muddy and smells like pigs. And he puts on his beautiful robe of righteousness. And then he puts on the ring on his finger and sandals. and, And he says, this is my son. He was lost to me, but he's found. He was dead to me, but he's alive. And I receive him fully back into my house as my son. Wow, that he might come and have a more abundant life. Do you think that prodigal son now with his father had a more abundant life than when he left? I, I think his days with that father in that house were never as sweet before. Once his heart realized the mercies and the grace of his Father, and so we have been justified by his grace; we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, there's not enough that can be said about that. In Romans eight verse sixteen and seven, we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. In First Peter one, three and four, it says to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, it does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So when we stand, and I don't understand all of this, our God's in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all one God, one substance, but yet in three distinct persons. And the second person of the Trinity came into human flesh. And when he died and rose again, he went back into the flesh a resurrected flesh of the brethren forever his eternal state so when we resurrect what's it going to be like i'm not sure it's going to be exactly like jesus though and when we stand in heaven we're standing next to the son jesus and he's our brother (laughs) and his inheritance is exactly the same as our inheritance so your dad died, and he has $300,000, and there's three kids, and, and it says in the will, everybody gets equal. $100,000, $100,000, $100,000, right? Whatever our inheritance is, whatever Jesus' inheritance is from the Father, our inheritance is exactly the same as Jesus's. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I just feel like right now I just need to fall on my face and just say, Lord. You're, you alone are worthy. Who am I? Who is man? That, that you would esteem us so highly. I mean, just imagine for a minute, if you walked outside to your trash can and you're going to throw some trash in it and all these maggots are coming out and falling out, out on the ground and and they're all smelly and gooey and, and you say, <laughs> I love those maggots so much. And you realize they're going to be eternally lost, but you lose your human estate and you become a maggot in that trash can with them. And you live as a maggot to show them the maggot way, the best maggot way. And and you then could die for them that these maggots could be Resurrected and come and live with you forever and ever and ever. What would you say to that? Yeah, that's a gross analogy. Us to maggots. You're you're right. It is a gross analogy because holy, perfect God coming into human flesh would be a gap, a zillion light years greater, wouldn't it? He came into the like of sinful man. A holy perfect righteous God came into our smelly sinful maggot life that we could resurrect to be exactly like him receive the exact inheritance he receives and he will forever be in the same resurrected bodies that we will be in for eternity what's our bodies like I don't know earthly turning into heavenly but yet to some degree it's similar because we're going to see the scars in his hands even after he is resurrected right the scars in his brow the scars in his side when he was resurrected Thomas come and see look at the hole in my side look at the holes in my hands it's me resurrected resurrected me but me and so it's it's I don't know. It, it, can we really wrap our minds around this? I don't know about you. It just causes me to be so humbled. And I think of that that, that passage in Romans 9. God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. God will harden whom he will harden. And what shall you say to the Lord? Well, you know, you don't have the right to do that. <laughs> shall the thing form say to the thing that formed him why have you made me like this does does the bowl have the right to speak to the potter and I don't want to be a bowl I want to be a cup Now I don't want to be this big you know come on what is it what's what's the guy do just goes <laughs> you know back into a ball and it's like I don't even ever have to use any of you just throw you in the corner let you harden and sweep you up later that's us who, who are we But what do we say? That God not only saves sinners, He saves the chiefs of sinners. And not only is God coming to save the chief of all sinners, He's coming to save me. Jesus, before the foundations of the world, thought of me. On the cross, Jesus thought of me. Did you realize this, guys, that He knew you before time began and on the cross he was fulfilling the predestined purpose of your salvation before time began second timothy 1 9 who saved us who called us with this holy calling not according to our works but according to his mercy and grace that was given to us in christ before time began and here we are the chosen of god are you born again here tonight? Well, I hope so. If you're saying, well, no, I'm not. I, do. I don't know if I want to live in that constricted Christian life. Well, I would say then you may not be chosen. Well, I don't like that. Then then humble yourself and say you're a sinner agree with God and, and let him save you from your sin. This is the only hope that man has. But now, even though we understand this amazing Amazing, amazing glory that God has for us. Paul says, in that light, what? In verse 8, this is a faithful saying. These things I want you to affirm constantly that those who believe in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Very practical, isn't it? In other words, you're not going to fill it. <laughs> you're oh do i go to church i don't feel it tonight i'm just not feeling the church thing tonight well don't forsake together and get of the brethren well i'm getting up in the morning i'm just not feeling the bible thing today i'm feeling more news you know i you know that guy doesn't know the lord but i'm not really feeling witnessing thing today you know what maturity is simply where you stop feeling it right I mean, when I tell the kids, do the dishes, oh, I'm not feeling it, you know? And all they gotta do is take them out and put them in the dishwasher. But yet they, oh, I'm not feeling it. Take the trash out. One second, pick the bag up, walk 20 feet, throw it in the can and come back in. But yet, oh, it's so hard, so hard. But as parents, you make them maintain good works. And they keep doing those good works and doing those good works. And as they do them, it gets easier and easier and easier until you become mature and you do the good works and you don't even remember doing the good works. You just, you're just a mature person. Take out the trash, do the dishes, make the bed, you know, clean the clothes, pay the bills, do everything I gotta do, I get it done. Monkey's off my back, the black cloud is gone. I can be free now. I, th- th- we, just, we just get into that rhythm because of maturity. So in Christianity, we're in sinful bodies. They're never going to fill it. Our brain is sinful. It's never going to think it. If we're ever going to be the mature Christians bearing good fruit the way we desire, it's not going to be this joyful, wonderful thing. It's going to be denying yourself, beating your body and taking up the cross and following him. I think Spurgeon has the best analogy of this. He said the Christian walk should be walked on a path at the bottom of the great mountain but on the plain of the farmland. And so as we're walking there we got to live in the farmland. we got to live down here where the crops grow and the trees will, will flourish and, and we got to work it weeding and hoeing and watering and but you you say oh I just want to go live on the top of that white mountain up there (laughs) build a cabin up there and 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 just on the side of that cliff and and what's going to happen you're going to starve to death (laughs) we want to live in that glory of predestination and election and and, and, but no, he, he just says, you know, you can climb up the hill a little bit and there's a few apple trees here and there and you can climb up hard, you a know, away when it's hot in the summer and get cooled off, but you, you gotta live in the valley. And there's times you, you, you just have to turn your back on the valley and just go, God heal me and look at the mountains until you're healed. And then there's times that you gotta just say, I gotta work and you're working in the fields. you don't even have time to look at the mountains. But most of the time, we just try to walk on the trail, peek at the mountains, and work in the fields. Peek at the mountains and work in the field. But this is the lot in this sinful world where we have to choose daily to maintain Christian works, to be careful, to realize... I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to think it. I'm not going to desire it. I'm not going to want it. But I know the heart and the will of God, and I'm going to walk in it by faith. Right? That's maturity. Well, in verse 9, avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. So when the Jewish groups come around and and try to quarrel with you, and they know you're Jew, that's a Christian, don't, don't, don't waste your time on it. Today, it's Calvinism for us. The Calvinists do that. They, they, they you know, uh, up in Southern California, they, they, they would listen to Chuck on Sunday night sermon. And then they had this radio program where they would pick a sermon apart. Did you hear this little phrase Chuck said? And, and it was like, are you, are you serious? You guys are gonna spend two hours picking apart Chuck's 45 minute message on the points he wasn't Calvinist? You know, it's just like, and they have websites to, to, to point out the, 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 the lack of Calvinism in, in Calvary Chapel. It's like, go pick on somebody else for a while. Go pick on the Methodists or the Baptists, you know, get, get off the, but not everybody else is teaching the Bible well enough that they can nitpick it. Well, in verse 10 and 11, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, Knowing that such a person is warped, sinning, being self-condemned. I'm sure Titus, just like in Timothy, they didn't want to confront these guys. They didn't want to deal with these guys. It's like, ah, there's going to be blowback. You know, they're they're a growling dog and you try to kick it out of the house and it'll bite your leg. I, I just, I'd rather just be an ostrich church, my head in the ground and, and not have to deal with divisive people. But the thing is, is when God reveals that to you, you've got to be a faithful Christian leader in particular to not let them become evident to all they're divisive. You know, then they split the church and, and cause all kinds of damage. And then everybody who's left going, yep, they were divisive. It's like, I know, but I was saying that like three years ago and you were arguing with me. And, you know, so do I, as a leader, do I stand around until they finally destroy stuff and then we all agree? Or is the whole point, you see the pattern, you see those steps of divisiveness. And before they cause damage, you come in and say, in the name of the Lord, you're not edifying the body. The words you're speaking are causing anxiety, and and hurt and and suspicion and guilt and condemnation or or worry or stress or whatever it is and and you're not edifying us and and you're now you're you're now taking the weak and the weary and the new Christians and you're 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 stumbling them the more mature Christians are just like ah it's just that but now we got to the leaders got to come and and I'll tell you what I I've, as a pastor I've I've had leaders come to me and say this guy needs to be dealt with and i i thought the guy was the greatest guy in the world and then i i, I listened to what they had to say and talk to him and yeah this guy is divisive and we had to rebuke him and i didn't see it i've had it sometimes for the, the i've had the ladies of the church come we had a, a, a thing where i had i had three different ladies come and say this guy is something not right with him? And I'm like, gosh, that guy is so nice. Or, and then another lady. And there, there were ladies that were, con- you know, in our church. And they and I finally just said, well, I'm going to investigate it. And so I asked the guy. I'm like, hey, where, what church did you come from or whatever? And and finally, he didn't want to tell me. And that was the red flag. And he finally got it out of him. And he was from another church. And it finds out he they they asked him to leave because they were thinking that he might molest a child. And then when I talked to these ladies, that's exactly what they sensed, like the spirit. And and so when I talked to the guy, I just said, hey, love you to come to church, but you can't um, be with the kids at all. Not after church, not before church, no Sunday school, find another ministry. He got up and he left and he went to another church. And I happened to know that pastor, I called him up and the pastor's like ah well he's a nice guy and i said i know i thought so too you know i but i'm just telling you and uh and uh unfortunately that pastor said Oh, we will keep it on him i'm not worried about it and unfortunately some things really went bad with that as far as i'll take that story but then there's times when i'm the only one who sees it and i'm I, i'm just like it's it's beyond clear and it's just god challenging me and my leadership to say, you, you've got the proof, you know what I'm telling you to do. And so I feel for Titus. This young guy, is trying to help these churches get started all over the island and he's got this guy being divisive in whatever way and this person being offensive to people over here and, and he's talked to him and then he comes back and he talks to him again and finally he's just like, you know what, you're not welcome here anymore. We're rejecting you from being a part of this. And, and if you want, you can come to my house and we'll do a Bible study, me and you, on how not to be offensive or how to, how to not be divisive and see if you're submitted enough to let me disciple you for a while. But right now, I gotta take you, if you are a sheep or maybe you're a wounded sheep, or maybe you're a sheep in wolf's clothing. I, I don't know yet, I'm not sure. Are, are you just a mean sheep being offensive and divisive? Are you a wounded sheep that either way, I've gotta have you over here by myself if you're willing. If you're not, you need to go. But if you're willing, I, I just got some special oil to put on your head here. I got some special bandages here. And, and until I let you, until I, I see you get healthy, I'm not gonna let you be with the other sheep. And it's a hard thing. It's one of the hardest things in the ministry. But God will challenge your leadership to, to step up and, and make that ride. Well, finishing up here, he says, I, I sent uh, Artemis and Tychicus be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenus the lawyer, so I, I need a lawyer. <laughs> Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. So most of these guys, we got to wait till we get to heaven to read the the heavenly pedia on these guys, that we recognize Apollos. Um, and, and then he said, let, all, let our people also learn to maintain good works. Do you, do you realize this, guys? This is the sixth time in this little book of Titus, the sixth time he has said, maintain good works. Meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So be ready, You know, have some finances gathered together. So if, if somebody needs urgent help, the church is ready to just say, we've, we've been being good stewards of the money, we have some money saved to help you with whatever this situation is. Be ready for urgent needs. The Bible's pretty clear on how to give, right? I mean, it's like, we we've gotta, we've gotta be helping out widows and orphans if our, if our church isn't, then and we're, we're blowing it, right? <laughs> True religions helping out widows and orphans. You know, we need to help missionaries. The Bible's pretty clear on that, even though, especially those who are persecuted missionaries. Um, yeah, there, there's a pretty clear layout of, of things that we as a church should be making sure we're supporting. And then, uh, again, have that ready so you're not caught unaware and unfruitful. How many verses are in chapter 3? I just realized my printer ran out of paper. And I, I have verse 14. Dennis, you got it there in verse 15 in front of you? Yeah, read, read it real loud. It says, all who are with me, greet you. For all those who love us in the faith, grace be with you all. Amen. Amen that that, you you read that so well there's nothing to be said (laughs) lord thank you for this night and thank you oh you're so good to us thank you for the washing of the water and the word thank you for strengthening feeble hands and our hands hanging down on feeble knees straightening them up tonight thank you for speaking words of faith lord and faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word thank you for sending your word and healing us Thank you for warning us to watch out, to not be submitted to those in authorities and and to be ready to reject those who are divisive and offensive and, and causing division. And Lord, thank you for just washing us in your theology, your beautiful doctrine of salvation. Oh, how beautiful and wonderful. You said it, how beautiful are the feet of those who spread the good news how beautiful it is. And we sensed it tonight. You met us tonight in the gospel, and it warmed our heart. It encouraged us and and washed us and strengthened us. And we thank you so much in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, "Amen, amen.